good morning. How are we doing? It is great to be back together again with our friends in uh, Frisco and Plano and Fort Worth and right here in Dallas and online. We are in week two of a series called This is the Life. It's the third volume of this series that we've done sporadically over almost our 20 years together. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at attributes of wisdom. We're studying the book of Proverbs. We have pulled out of Proverbs 36 different wisdom attributes that are children, K through five, study for a month at a time uh, in a three-year rotation. So they get it twice over a six-year period. And what we're doing is we're looking ourselves at some of these. We'll take usually a week at a time for each attribute. Next week, it's on courage. It's going to be awesome. Um, We see that's a wisdom attribute. When you have a skilled life, that's what the word wisdom means. When the word wisdom is translated uh, out of the Hebrew, it's it's used of... um, not just people who live well, but it's used of artisans, it's used of cooks, it's used of um, leadership. So when you are good at something, you're considered a wise or skilled individual. What Proverbs is basically saying is, you wanna be somebody who in the way that you do all of life, people just go, that is wise. I mentioned to you that the attribute we're studying right now to kick it off is righteousness. And righteousness, really, in the English, comes from the old English phrase, right wise. You are rightly living. The way you live is skilled. What is the source of that? And our answer is, we're not left to ourselves to figure out which way we should go. We have a loving father who desires uh, to bless us, and all he wants us to do is listen to him. Now, I want to set this back up by reminding you what we spent the entire first week of this series doing as we introduced righteousness to you. When the book of Proverbs is talking about righteousness, it's not talking about being declared good enough for God. Because, as we just spent the entire summer studying in the Sermon on the Mount, good enough for God requires perfection, and nobody lives that rightly. So there is the righteousness, which we commonly use the biblical term justification, which is a declaration of not guilty. That is a word which is not used in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, the word righteousness means that is working out rightly in life. Not perfectly, but that's good conduct, proper way. It's very similar to wisdom. And so uh, let's take a look at it together. We're going to uh, <coughs> learn a few things as we dive in with one another. And let me just start by saying this. Righteousness is something that is imputed, fancy word, mean placed upon, ascribed to, attributed to, and earned. It's imputed. It's given to you by grace through faith. But it's also earned as you apply yourself to the text, to scripture. So what I wanna do today, and what I'm gonna do with you today is show you from the Bible that if you are an individual that knows that your life isn't right enough to live faithfully before God, that you would cry out to him for mercy, and you would take uh, his offer of Jesus's righteousness and have it imputed to you or given to you, and you would take that. That's the kind of righteousness that leads to our salvation. But then, having received from God this reconciled and restored relationship through his kindness and grace, you would say, okay, now, now that I know you're not a God to be avoided, 
and not a God that can be appeased with um, sacrifices and church attendance and, and um, you know, giving day activity. Now that I see that you're a God that makes up for my debt, which I could never pay, and I see you're that good and that kind, teach me more of your ways. Teach me to live rightly. You need to understand this. When uh, Jesus comes and offers you the abundant life, the eternal life, that's just not uh, quantitative, like you'll live forever because you'll be with God. It's also qualitative. And the righteousness that we're going to study today is the quality of life. The righteousness that leads to being okay when you stand before God in the judgment that leads to eternal life, you know, quantity of life forever is the one that you get by grace through faith. So interesting how many people miss this. Um, I was speaking uh, last week and um, a place about 12 minutes from the airport that I flew into in Denver. And when I landed, um, I jumped in with my Uber driver and we started talking right away and we ended up having a spiritual conversation. That spiritual conversation on the way over there, I found that this guy had no spiritual interest, no spiritual history of any kind. And so I said, well, man, listen, thank you so much for getting me where I wanted to go. Let me just ask you a question. If I did know that there was a truth about the fact that there was more to life than just this world. In fact, there was a God that cares about this world and cares about you in it. And I understood how you could know that God and how he could make your life better. Wouldn't it be kind for me to tell you that? He goes, absolutely. I'd go, so do you mind if I just take a shot at it? And in about two minutes, I just shared with him what I knew to be true that God has revealed to me in the scripture and through my own personal experience. And I asked him before I told him, I said, what do you think though God would want from you? What do you think God requires of individuals? I know you have no religious history, no spiritual background. What do you think God requires of you if you're gonna have a relationship with him? And guess what this guy said? He goes, well, I think you'd have to pretty, be pretty good and do the best you can and treat other people generally kindly. And then I think you'll be okay. And I said, well, gosh, it's so interesting. I mean, Jesus actually said something similar to that. He said, you should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But he also said, because you don't do that, there's a consequence. And I said, none of us do that perfectly. And so I talked about sin and righteousness and judgment and grace. Now, here's what's crazy. Going back to that same airport, I'm in the car with another guy. And uh, we start, and we got about 12 minutes somewhere in the conversation. Our conversation turns to spiritual things. And I just, uh, I find out what the guy's interested about. And actually, this is the way I did it. He just goes, oh, man, I, you know, because I, I, I said, what do you do when you're not driving an Uber? He goes, well, I love to travel. In fact, you know, I had a job um, in the tech industry. I did very well for a long time. And I'm just taking like a, a little sabbatical. And um, I'm traveling all the ways I can. And I, he told me all the places he'd been traveling to. It was a pretty impressive list. And so... Um, I, I, I just said, man, it's amazing. He said, you know, as you go to those different places, you know, have you bumped in a lot of people who believe a lot of different things? He goes, oh yeah, every place you go, people believe different things. I go, great, what do you believe? And he goes, me? He goes, oh, I'm a Christian. I go, awesome. So here's the deal. Quick question before I got out of the car. You're a Christian. You're a traveler. You know the worst thing you can do when you travel is show up someplace unprepared. So if I wanted to be a Christian, I want to travel to meet your God. One day when I die, if I stood before him in heaven, what would I need to get into heaven? Guess what the Christian said? The same thing my non-Christian Uber driver said. He goes, oh man, you gotta be good. You gotta do the best you can. You gotta be kind to other people. And I looked at the Christian, and now if you're listening to this and not watching, I just put quotes right there. And I just said, hey man, do you mind if I just share something with you? I go, because I know that makes sense, but 
I happen to also be a person um, who loves God and calls myself a Christian. But can I remind you what the Bible says about the visa that will gain us access to heaven? And I shared with him about the righteousness which comes by grace through faith and about how God's standard is not that we would do the best we can. We are saved, I quoted him from, uh, from Titus 3.5, not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy and by the washing of his regenerating power and by the renewal that his spirit does in us. Bro, if you show up and you got a resume that you're gonna submit to him, that's not gonna be good enough. That visa will not get you through. And you will be naked and unprepared. Now, I'm gonna tell you something else about what will make heaven a very dissatisfying place for you and probably an indication that you're not even headed there today. There's a righteousness which gets you into heaven and there's a righteousness which will make you happy in heaven. Let's take a look, all right? Uh, one last thing, I was actually speaking at um, the Compassion Global Conference. They brought in leaders from um, over 40 nations that were there that were leading the compassion effort all across the world. And um, one of the folks that spoke actually right after me um, was a woman that was just uh, talking about how we should view ourselves as leaders and that we're the ones that have an opportunity to, to bring about substantive change and make things better. And so she just said, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to vision. And she had everybody close their mind, you know, and, um, and just said, I want you to think about how you could revise something or double down on something to excel still more, because that's what a leader should do. It should, you know, define reality and then move to, um, you know, make it more of what God wants it to be. And so I want all of you, and she challenged everybody just to sit and think and just go, what needs to change? Now, what do you think I thought of? You know, and I sat there and I thought, okay, that's a good question. It's always you know, something I do naturally all the time. But I said, okay, Lord, I want to do this. I'll take a second. What is it that you really want me to change more than anything? And I didn't think about our student ministry. I didn't think about our children ministry. I didn't think about our Sunday morning uh, gatherings. I didn't think about the way we were doing community. You know what I thought of? The one thing in my life that needs to change more than anything else, the one thing in my ministry that needs to change was me. I just thought, you know what, Lord, you know what I need to double down on and pursue more of? It's your righteousness. I want more of you in my life. I want, I want my life to be more of what you want my life to be. I'm, not so that I can get into heaven because that's been taken care of through the gracious precision of Jesus Christ, but because I know you're good and I see how kind you are. I know what you want for me. The number one area that I need to double down on, have a greater vision for what God wants in my life, it, it, it is me. And I'm going to say this to you again. I mentioned it last week, and it's worth saying again. I'm going to tell you, if you don't want to know more of God, I'm not sure you know him at all. If you had the opportunity to get anything from God and to make anything better, and your choice isn't your life, because your life being better, you know, when a leader gets better, everything gets better around them. Your marriage gets better. Your parenting gets better. Your dating life gets better. Your giving gets better. Your kindness gets better. The poor are better served. It's what the wisest guy that ever lived said. God, give me more skill in right wise living. It's what you should want. Now let me show you one thing and then we're gonna just show you that, that righteousness, again, watch this, is imputed by grace through faith when you say, God, I can never be good enough for you. Thank you that you love me and Jesus died for me. 
And now, Lord, let me be righteous in the way that I live. Let me learn your ways. That's what the book of Proverbs is for. Watch this. I, I was in, comforted because right after uh, I, I went through that little exercise, you know, immediately what shot into my mind is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. I mean, the brother uh, spent all of his time doing everything he could to live in a way that the world thought was going to make God pleased with the way a man could live. And, and in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. You know what? None of that I know now. He understood that he needed grace. And Paul said, none of that I count on. In fact, just read this with me. We're going to read a good chunk of Philippians 3. It starts in verse 8, and he says this. I count all things, in other words, that I have done. That's his resume in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And he's referring back to that. I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, I don't, I don't count them um, as important anymore. They're all rubbish to me so that I might gain Christ. So that I might be found in him, watch this, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, from being a law keeper, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you see that? That's the imputed righteousness. That's when God places on you the goodness and rightness of your King Jesus in the way that he lived his life. But watch. I want to know the, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. What Paul's using there is kind of fancy language, and what he's basically saying is, I want to identify with Jesus, and I know Jesus died for my sin. I want to die to sin, and I know that Jesus, because he paid the wages of sin, sin's, sin's curse was defeated, and he lives newness of life. He goes, if I die by grace through faith with Christ, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I no longer live according to what I want to do, but by faith and the power of the resurrection that brought Christ from the grave is the power that's going to let me live today in the way that God wants me to live in increasing ways. So how? Here's my question for you. If you're saved by grace through faith, how do you become a more faithful person? The answer is by living a wise life, by studying God's word by being a student of the father who saved you. And so look what Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I might lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Do you get this? What he's saying is I'm not, I'm not perfect. None of us are, but I want more of Jesus. This God that died for me, that is that kind and that good. Show me more of your ways. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, which is why when I said, God, what, if I could improve any one area of my leadership, what area should I improve? And he just came and said, well, how about Todd Wagner? Improve that. Not so I can love you, but so that my love can be evidenced through you. So that others will see the power of who I am because I take you, an impish, arrogant, impotent, little wretch, not powerful enough to do right, all of a sudden have the power to do right. And the world will marvel. And they'll say, what's the source, Todd, of, of your kindness and your love and your wisdom? And I can say, it's my king, it's Jesus. 
If there's anything good in me, it's him. I must decrease, he must increase. Watch what Paul says. He says, I press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, watch this, as many as are already perfect. In other words, already have the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, may God reveal it to you. He revealed it to me when I prayed to him recently. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we've attained, which is the righteousness of Christ. Let us go towards that. Brethren, watch this. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us, spiritual leaders. For many, I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, people, people that have done works and gone around religious people and said religious things who are not now pursuing the God they say they love. He says, many I've told you are now weeping. They're now enemies of the cross of Christ. They said one thing and they're doing another and their end is destruction. Their God is not the God of holiness and the scriptures. Their God is their appetite and they glory in their shame who set their mind on earthly things but not us, folks. And our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question, okay? Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus in the sense that, that you are because you know, first of all, you, you, you have peace with God and secondly, because you're not gonna be putting things in order. I did a wedding last night and I, I always do it. I mean, I always think about, this is my moment, right? When the doors are gonna open and I, and I love, it's my favorite part of the wedding is when the doors are shut, all the bridesmaids have come in, all the guys are up there and we're standing there and the, you know, nobody uses that song anymore, but they used to. And, and, and then, you know, all of a sudden it's, and, 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 and I always want the doors to stay shut a little longer. But then there's that moment, man, when the door opened and the bridegroom is standing there and then here she comes. And I just, I always think, man, Lord, you know, because that what that girl's been doing is getting ready all stinking day, right? I mean, nails are done. Everything is clipped and trimmed and tucked and, you know, it, she'll never have a more custom made anything on and, and the hair is just right and, and it's just kind of like, man, she did everything she could for when those doors opened to make herself as lovely as she could for her bridegroom. But wouldn't it offend you if she showed up at the front and just went, you better love me because look at this. <laughs> you better lay down your life for me, Jack, because look at this. It would offend all of us. I don't care who she is. No, she's there by faith that that guy said, I will love you and I'll meet you at five o'clock at 7540 LBJ and I will, I will complete my intention to be one with you in all of its fullness. But because she loves him, she did all she could to make herself presentable, knowing that it's the offer of love of that man that's going to make that thing go down. She's not getting one long lingering kiss in back there with the world. She's not got her whole boyfriends lined up. Go, I think we got a few more seconds before the door opens. Come on. How awful would that be? Right? How awful would that be if that's what you're doing? Let me just read this to you. This is, this is from my friend J.C. Ryle. He said this, suppose for a moment that you were allowed to enter heaven without holiness, without righteousness. 
What would you do? What possible enjoyment could you feel there to which all the saints, to which of the saints would you join yourself? And by whose side in heaven would you want to sit down? If, if you've said you love Jesus, but you've been about loving the world, what true saints of God are you going to enjoy? Their pleasures aren't your pleasures. Their tastes aren't your taste. Their character is not your character. How could you possibly be happy in heaven if you've not been righteous on earth? You need to know there will be no other company but the righteous in heaven. How could an unholy man ever find pleasure in such a place as this? The, the, the righteousness which is justification and the righteousness which is sanctification are joined by God. You are never justified if you're not sanctified and you are never sanctified if you're not justified. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. Hear me. I'm about to tell you why you should want more of this God who has offered to save you. I'm going to give you today righteousness's resume, not the righteousness which saves. Has that been made clear? The righteousness that will take this reconciled relationship with God and will benefit you in every area of your life. This is why the church in America is so feckless and weak and ineffective because we talk about how oh, you can be righteous, you can be saved. We buy fire insurance. We say things about God, but we don't love him. We just know this story, this propositional statement, man's bad, God's good, Jesus died, trust in him and you're saved. And then we just go on acting like we love the world and not the God who saved us. That is evidence that you have a love with your lips, but your heart is far from him, and it is not a righteousness unto salvation. You are not loved because of what you do. You do what you do because you know you're loved. If you don't want to know more of God, I don't think you know him. Righteousness is imputed, and it is earned. Watch this, Proverbs 2. My son, my daughter, if, if, you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Again, we're talking here about the sanctification, the right, wise living. If you'll make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you'll incline your heart to understanding, if, if, and only if you cry for discernment, if, and only if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then, then you'll start to live a little bit more righteously. Look, you just need to know, man, God does not sanctify a stupid Christian. I know of no man or woman that is conformed in the image of their father that doesn't seek their father in intimacy with the word of God. That doesn't surround themselves with holy brothers and sisters who says, teach me more of the father's way. Drive me more towards him. And he's just saying, if you want this right living, you've got to sit at my feet. Because the Lord, verse 6, gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield of those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. This goes on and gives you the resume again and again and again. And he tells you righteousness is a choice when you get down to verses you know, 13 through 22 in chapter 2. He says, you've got to choose this. Verse 13, don't, don't leave the paths of uprightness. Don't walk in the ways of darkness, but don't delight in doing evil and be with those people. But choose, choose to know more of this God that you say you love and saved you. It, it's what Paul says a little bit later. Flee from the wickedness that has 
been a part of the judgment that you are due and pursue righteousness. Listen, church, you cannot pursue salvation. You have to accept it as a gift. But having accept the privilege of being reconciled to the God who loves you, you ought to want to sit at his feet and you ought to want to learn his ways. Because again and again through scripture, this is what he's telling you to do. Um, I mean, I don't have time to go there, but if you'll just go look at the beginning of Proverbs, especially in Proverbs chapter three, he just says, my son, don't forget my teaching. Proverbs chapter four, oh son, listen to my instruction as a father. Chapter five, my son, give attention to my wisdom. Chapter seven, oh son, listen to my words. It's like God is pleading with you. When you get to Proverbs chapter eight, God is there again and he personifies wisdom, okay, as a woman. And, and what's so interesting is Proverbs 2 and 5 and 7 and 9 and 23 and 30. I mean, all over, five of the first 10 books warn you away from the woman of folly um, and, and, and who is boisterous and who is trouble and who leads your life to the pit. And, 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 and sometimes it's actually an adulterous woman or an adulterous man, but, but, but a lack of wisdom is ultimately the thing which will lead you to all of those things. It is true that our, our greatest cravings in life are, are physical and our sexual urges are so strong. And so you'll find it five times in the first 10 chapters of Proverbs where he's warning you again and again, I'm going to keep you from the adulteress. Now the adulteress is an actual person, an activity, but it's also representative of anything that makes you love something more than God. And now here's what's amazing. Let's get to Proverbs 8 just for a second because Proverbs 8, the whole chapter is talking about wisdom in general and, and wisdom is personified as a woman. And there's a, another woman that you'll see in chapter 9 that, that is also trying to seduce you and get you to come and follow her. But what you're going to have in Proverbs chapter 8, and I don't have a chance to read it all, in verses 1 through 21, again, what, what, what's happening is that Solomon is lifting up the virtue of wisdom, the beauty of wisdom. And what he's saying is, I can make your world better. I can make you a better 20-year-old, a better freshman in high school. I can make you a better father. I can make you a better um, philanthropist. There's nothing that God cannot make better if you'll just let him and learn from him. There's not a problem in the world that cannot be traced to our unwillingness to let God be our father and our mentor. And there's not a problem in the world that cannot be erased if we'll just go to him and say, Lord, help me fix it. Help me own it. Help me leave the way which seemed right to me, which got me in a world of hurt. Teach me your ways. And so, so basically, Proverbs 8, you know, because so many of us think, Gosh, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm good enough to sit at God's table. Todd, are you telling me that I can, I can sit at wisdom's feet? You need to know you are wisdom's desired guest. You will never want to know God's will more than he wants to reveal it to you. That's Proverbs 8, 1 through 21. I mean, she is whistling. Come here, please sit with me. Let's go on a date. And then... What he does to kind of convince you in verses 22 through 30, he just says, nothing could have made a better world but wisdom. In fact, he, what he says is, hey, God used wisdom, this thing I want to give you, God used wisdom to make this world. And you might go, well, really, Todd? So that's supposed to be wisdom's resume? This world? 
where folks walk into a Walmart with an um, automatic weapon and kill 20 people? This world where there are pedophiles? This world where there are, there are rapists? This, this is, wisdom made this world? No! Wisdom did not make this world. Wisdom made the world that existed before man said, I don't really like your world. Wisdom made Eden. Wisdom made the beauty of creation. I, I mean, have you ever, I mean, if you've been around, uh, you know, for very long, especially the sciences, and you get inside, I can remember when I was um, uh, in, in college, I was thinking about a lot of different careers, and one of them, you know, I just, I thought, man, I'd love to really be able to help people in, in their brokenness and in their physicalness, and so I, I wanted to maybe consider medicine, and so I went and um, I had a privilege to get in the hospital and actually do a, an autopsy with a pathologist, and I can remember the first time I was there, um, and I saw a human body broken open. I had seen drawings and charts in biology, but when I saw that the, 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 the sternum cracked and pulled back and and I just saw the way everything was put together. It reminded me of a, a book by Dr. Paul Brand called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made and how he basically came to faith as he studied the human body. He's like, there's just no way that this just happened through nothing plus time plus chance. It's crazy. Darwin thought it was crazy. Darwin thought it was crazy that the human species could have evolved in the finite history of time. But nonetheless, he speculated it, and the world followed his speculations. I, I can remember, I'll just throw this in here as a little side. I can remember, you know, I had an amazing dog when I was an, an, a young man, and, um, and he was a beautiful, dark golden retriever, and a golden retriever, but a dark, deep red, athletic golden retriever that was really smart and brilliant. And, and, and I would always have other folks who, hey, would you breed your dog with mine? And I finally met a, 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 a guy with a uh, a family I knew that had a really beautiful, dark, golden retriever gal. And, um, you know, we let him go on a date. <laughs> I, I didn't grow up on a farm, okay? So I had never seen dogs make love, okay? And um, let me just tell you, you shouldn't use the fur phrase make love with dogs. I mean, it was like, I was like, wow, you know? That's kind of a violent act right there. It kind of ends with somebody grabbing a hose and spraying them, okay? I mean, that's literally, and it's kind of like, okay, all right, moving on. It was just like violent. Now, I'll tell you why I tell you that, okay? Because 60 days later, 60 days later out of that R-rated, X-rated violent activity, there was a basket of 12 golden retriever puppies, which are maybe the cutest things on earth. And I go, how did we get them to here? And I, I, you know what? I mean, I literally thought Proverbs 8, 22 through 30. That's some wisdom, man. How you can redeem that and make that. And, and it's just a, a crass example. And I'll acknowledge it's crass. A crass example of what God, I mean, you look at that and we go, no, no way you could do that, right? I mean, if I filmed that, I go, I'll tell you what you can do. I want you to imagine the most beautiful thing on earth. That's coming in 60 days from that. You're like, how's that going to happen? When, when you see this world and all of its chaos and you go, how did that happen? The answer is, we, we, we just said, we're smarter than the God that can do that. We're smarter than a God. And when you, when you think of wisdom's resume, think about what was there 
when there was peace on earth and we were naked and unashamed. That's such a crazy word. Can you imagine being naked and unashamed? Think about how self-absorbed and self-obsessed we are. Think about how lustful. Think about when I see you, I want to use you for my pleasure and I want to make sure that, that, that you think well of me. And we just can't even imagine a world where we can be naked and unashamed. Well, wisdom created one. And there was nothing around all of creation that was a problem except a liar who told us, don't trust this God, go your own way. You don't need to live his way. What I want to do is just take a few minutes, literally the next, you know, 10 to 15 and we're done is, is just share with you wisdom's resume, wisdom's resume. This is what wisdom or righteousness will bring you. Specifically, the word righteous shows up 90 times in the book of Proverbs. It is the most, um, of all the things we're going to study over the next weeks, righteousness and righteous shows up the most in Proverbs. I hope you've been reading with me through the Proverbs this week. Okay. I hope today you're reading Proverbs 15. I hope you repeat that with me all through the fall. And you're going to be amazed at how much you learn, how much skill, more skilled you are in living. And let me just show you a few. We're only going to get like through the first couple because like Proverbs 10 and 11, I mean, it's just thick with the word righteous, righteous, righteous. So this is righteousness resume. We've already talked about how righteousness is imputed and earned. We're talking about how you earn and become more righteous. It's a discipline. You're disciplining yourself for the purpose of righteousness. You're taking wisdom's invitation to sit at her feet. You don't have to wonder if you're good enough to go to her classroom. If you're an idiot and your life is in ruin, you especially should be in our classroom. If you know that God is good and you see his beauty in all of creation, sit at his feet. Let him make you a new creation and then let him turn you forward. Now, here's, here's the dirty little secret, okay, about the prosperity gospel. Are you ready? I told you I was going to read this. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33. It says, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Right? And, and, and sometimes, rightly, these, these people that will tell you, if you trust God, you'll be healthier, wealthier, and wiser, okay, or, or um, healthier and wealthier. Specifically, the, the, the reason that the prosperity gospel, which is the perversion, is, is so powerful in people's lives is there are verses that you can read that seem to indicate that your life is going to be blessed if you do it. And we think, what greater blessing is there than good health and riches? And you see verses like this where it says he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And so in the health, wealth, and prosperity nonsense world, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, if you're not healthy and rich, it's because you haven't trusted God enough. And conveniently, they'll say, give more to God and God will give more to you. Now, it's true. You give God more attention. You sit at his feet more. You study his word. He's going to give more of himself to you. But it's not going to always turn out with health and riches. But, but this, is, this is true. This is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law, which is, which is God revealing to you, this is a better way to live. There is a law that God's fixed. You, you rebel against me, it's not going to go well with you. You walk with me, and there's going to be a strength and a dignity and an honor to you, a right, wise living. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything according to all that is written in it. Watch this. For then... You will make your way prosperous. 
and then you'll have success. Now listen, if I wanted to manipulate you, I could just go right off that. I go, okay, people, you want more success? You want more prosperity? Then let's just drop a little bit more in the basket. Let's get it passed around right here. You sick? Have more faith. Seek more of God. You won't be sick. I can always hold up some example of somebody that did that. And you would think, okay, well, that guy got it happened. He just gave a testimony. Todd brought him up here. Then, 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 then maybe I just need to give more and do more. And maybe the reason I'm not well is because I'm not trying enough. No, man, there's all kinds of reasons you might not get well. I had a gal, actually, we, we just taught this recently uh, at the porch on Tuesday night. We were talking about this insta-theology, which is so crazy that's out there, you know, stuff that's posted online that, that people believe. And she actually grabbed me. I, I, I um, was up on campus. I was teaching somewhere else. I was walking across campus. She just heard the message. She saw me. She came up. She said, I just want to rest. I mean, I really, I want to believe that God will, will, will deliver for me if I just trust in him that my life will be blessed. I mean, I, I don't want to keep up to work. You know, I mean, I just, I can't, I mean, I, I, can't I just find some rest? And I just say, yeah, here's your rest. Here's your rest. Your rest can be found this way, right? He tells you, all oh, you are weary and heavy laden. Come, come to him, follow his way. Because here's the thing, okay? The rest can be that you can go to bed and not have to worry that because of the way you lived in rebellion against God, trouble's gonna come to your life. At your own hand. And even when you're falsely accused, you'll know that you're being falsely accused and that the only opinion that matters has got your back. But I can't tell you that there's anything that you can do that can, will keep you free from a drunk driver or cancer diagnosis. I go, but wouldn't it be awful if I told you that you were going to be the drunk driver? That the reason you're going to be paralyzed and eating your meals through a straw is because of your own rebellion against God? That the reason your own heart's going to be torn out is not because some evil rapist took advantage of you, but you freely gave yourself to guys that want to take advantage of your insecurity? And I just said, hey, look, here's the deal. You want rest? And this is John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, hey, listen, these things I've spoken to you. This is, this is a great verse. These things I've spoken to you so that, watch this, in me you might have peace. Because in the world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. This world's not your home. Watch. I'm going to remind you, the world that we live in right now is not wisdom's world. This is a world that is following after something other than righteousness. And so people drink and drive. People watch porn and look for somebody to rape. But that doesn't mean you got to poison your own liver by being an alcoholic. And that you've got to devalue yourself by participating in illicit sexual activity to see if it might numb your pain. Because there's a whole different kind of pain when you don't live rightly and you realize that the, the pit you're in, you dug. You want peace? This world's not your home. And, and the world that you're in right now is not your father's world and he's going to let you suffer in it. But when you suffer in it, he's going to let you suffer with dignity and hope with grace and forgiveness and people are going to go, who are you that you're not filled with bitterness and hate? Even though that was your dad, even though that's your story. And the answer is I'm a child of God. And I realize that this is just a vapor and there's going to be a time when I'm going to be home and I'm going to be blessed. He's going to remove me from sin and death. And he told me that this world, because it isn't run by wisdom, I might be in Walmart minding my own business on tax relief day and I might get shot or my spouse might get shot. And though it hurts, I have hope. There's your rest. 
There's a blessing which comes from that kind of confidence. Proverbs 3 says, um, when you lie down, verse 24, you will not be afraid. And your sleep will be sweet. Wow. What a promise. Righteousness does lead to blessing. It's not the blessing that false prophets and false teachers tell you, but it's a good blessing. Watch this. Um, righteousness should increase in your life. This is Proverbs 4.18. In the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. What if I told you this? What if I told you that starting today, your life can become better? Your life can become more skilled. Your life can become more um, rightly ordered, properly acted. Like, Todd, I think I'd be interested in that. Do you, I mean, I literally, I'll say this. I mean, you could have a better life now by starting to live more in tune with your father. It doesn't mean you'll get a better job or you won't have an abusive boss. It means you're gonna understand how to handle all those things. And, and what he's saying in, in Proverbs chapter four, verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It goes brighter and brighter until the, the full day comes. In other words, you just watch. Get up early tomorrow morning. Get up around 5.30 and just watch how dark it is. It's darkest before dawn. But all of a sudden, here comes the sun. And that rising of the sun every day, God is just showing you this is what it should be like. There, there, there's now a slight glow on the horizon. And then ultimately, it gets a little brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until the noonday, the full day comes, and just light covers the whole earth. That ought to be your life. If there is not more of Jesus in your life, if there's not more excellent living, if there's not more right-wise, if people aren't seeing a, a sanctification in your life, it's probably because you don't know the God who justifies. Because wisdom and righteousness does this. The path of the righteous is a path where it always gets better. You don't become older and more crotchety. You become older and more like Jesus. But only if you sit at wisdom's feet and you meditate in her ways. Righteousness, part of her resume is it increases in glory every day. How about this? Proverbs 10, 2. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. That was on the 10th. That was Tuesday. I got a text late at night on Tuesday that, that T. Boone Pickens had died. And so early the next day, it was Proverbs 11, I sent an email to my kids. I go, hey, I, got, I want you guys to read Proverbs 11 and tell me a verse that you, had you been T. Boone's friend, you would have begged for him to know and believe. Because one of righteousness's resume is that it's more beneficial than wealth. You'll see it again and again and again. Seek me more than gold and riches. This is not about T. Boone in particular. But I want to tell you, I say, what does T. Boone's picking know now more than anybody? And, and one of my kids shot me back Proverbs 11.4, which... which Ends the same way as Proverbs 10.2, that righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.4 says, riches do not profit on the day of death. But righteousness does. You can't buy your way in. You can't give your way in. And there's nothing wrong, you know, with having the opportunity to give. But if you don't take what God has given to you, Righteousness satisfies, Proverbs 10.3. This is part of righteousness' resume. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will direct the craving of the wicked. 
Sin never satisfies, does it? It never satisfies. You know what sin does? It, it only tantalizes and it creates addiction and dependency and despair. I say it all the time, man, to myself and to my kids and to others who will listen. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And yet we keep on bellying up to the bar, don't we? It never delivers. It does for a quick, fleeting moment, but it doesn't ever satisfy. Righteousness satisfies. You lay in your bed at night. Have you ever done this? Like, let's just say like you've sinned. Right? You've, made a, you, you, you've lived a, a wretched life that day. You've done something. I don't care if you just had the most illicit you know, fantasy experience of your life. You lay in bed and you go like, man, tomorrow, I, wow, what else is next? What else could I do? You don't lay in bed and go, okay, that's it, I'm done. But, but you know what satisfies you is when you find moments in your day, you know, God, when I was on that plane, I was just looking to do what I wanted to do and for a moment, I just carved out some time and I really cared about the person next to me and I engaged them and I used that 15 minutes on earth to love somebody else and it turned into a conversation that could be a pivot point in that person's eternity. I lay in my bed at night and I'm just so satisfied. You know what, God, today I could have done this with some resources and instead of just giving myself a little bit more comfort, I moved some of it over here to provide comfort from somebody else. It's just so satisfying. That new Amazon box that just showed up and you opened, it just isn't satisfying. But man, when you do and live what God wants, you just kind of go, that, that was right and good. And Jesus, I know, man, do it again. You'll just, your life will be, be, be full. So here's what I want you to do. Okay, I, 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 you know, this resume of righteousness, I've got 90 things. And we're not gonna do week three and week four and week five and week six. We could. We're gonna move on now to a different part of skilled living that if you'll sit at wisdom's feet, part of your right wise living will have courage, hope, humility, and all these other things I'll get to. But righteousness is a great way to start volume three, okay? And here's what's amazing. Remember I told you what we do with our kids? We kind of introduce what righteousness is. We, we talk about this is what happens when you don't live that way. And then here comes the rescue of living that way. And then we love to say at the end, and Jesus is the ultimate picture of that. And Jesus is the ultimate picture of that. There was some right-wise living in Jesus. And let me tell you what he did. He didn't you know, he, he came and he justified us by his death on the cross, but this is what scripture says. He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. In other words, he did what the father said. And this is what he did with this Jesus. Not only did he use Jesus to redeem us, but watch. It says, for this reason, in, in, in Philippians 2, verse 12, it says, God highly exalted him. In verse 9, actually. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above all names, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whether in heaven or on earth, that Jesus is Lord. And then I love this, verse 12, so then. I mean, is there anybody more loved than Jesus? Of course not. I mean, atheists love Jesus. Muslims love Jesus. Buddhists love Jesus. Hindus love Jesus. And they redefine him, but Christian, do you love Jesus? Do you want to learn more of his ways? Then sit at the feet of that which made Jesus Jesus. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not just in Paul's presence, but now much more in my absence, watch what he says. Work out your salvation. 
doesn't say work for. That's the imputed righteousness. But work out your salvation. Sit at wisdom's feet. So you can be conformed in his image. And do it with fear and trembling because do you know what's at stake? What's at stake is the rising sun of glory in your life. What's at stake is the world seeing the power of the resurrection in your life. And people wanting to know the source of your right living. So you can testify as if God himself was pleading through you that they might come to know the God who loves them. What's at stake is you want those wedding doors to be opened and you want to be standing there in all the beauty of right living so that you can give to him everything you can give to him knowing that he's the one that's going to make you beautiful. It's a lot at stake. Father, I pray that we would be righteous in our living, that we would be about what you want us to be about and do what you want us to do so that the world might know that you are king and God. Thank you for wisdom's gift and for righteousness's resume. I pray that this body would study. They would just... They would, they would look at the word righteous again and again and again as it, it pops up and they would just see and, and describe, okay, if I, this is what it says is true, the righteous. This is the resume that is produced. If I just would sit at your feet, thank you, Father, that we don't need to submit to you a resume. We need to submit to you our sin and our need for mercy and grace and we find provision for that on the cross. But having received a testimony of your kindness, let us sit at your feet. Let us be right wise. Let us be your people for the rising of the son of Christ's conformity in our life and for your glory throughout all the earth, I pray. Amen.